Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Welcome everybody in Knoxville today as you all are connecting. If you got a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 2. We'll be there in just a minute. This is a busy season for the life of our church and uh, Let's Go Week is coming up in about a week. And so like I mentioned last week, you've heard it over and over again. I want to reiterate it. We're asking everybody who calls FC their home, their church, to get involved in some type of outreach ministry during that week. You can go online, see the list of all the things and opportunities that you can be a part of. Um, if you don't see something that fits your schedule or that you want to do, create your own. Tell us when. We'll help you do it. We'll get some people to help you do it as well. Uh, we want to see 100% participation out of our church as we seek to impact our community. And that leads to Good Friday. Good Friday, two big things happening. We're releasing a, a brand new song called Believe. I hope you'll download it and hope you'll share it on your social media platforms. And, and then also we're doing the family fun nights in the park. And so good opportunities to invite your friends and your family for the Easter egg hunt. There'll be food. There'll be lots of uh, games and things to do with your family. So going to be an incredible, incredible uh, opportunity for us. And of course, Easter Sunday, uh, we've got Saturday night service here in Maryville. And then our normal times here in Maryville at 9, 11, and then 11 o'clock in Knoxville. Invite, 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 invite. We're going to baptize that day. Uh, some of you made decisions last Sunday. Maybe on Easter you'll follow and uh, get baptized on that day. So uh, I hope that you will. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I took my family to Top Golf and uh, decided to just have a little fun there. If you don't know what that is, it's basically you hit golf balls into the hole and score points and it's a whole deal. You eat. It's a lot of fun. And so we're there and, you know, we rented it out for two hours. That's usually kind of the, the normal thing for a party of six. I've got four kids, uh, all teenagers. Well, one just turned 20. And so we're playing. I've got three girls um, and, and then my son. And so the girls just play differently, you know, usually. Uh, and so, you know, teenagers, if you know them, they're kind of like, oh, it's my turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, 30 minutes for them to get up and hit the ball. And so like as a guy that's competitive, I'm like, look, oh, you're next. Get your club. Be ready. Get on deck. When they leave, you go. Right? I didn't say it like that, but I kind of said it like, you know, similar. And so, <laughs> and then like it's two hours. So we're, we're it's got a countdown. And so there's like 10 minutes left and we're nowhere near finishing that second game. And so I leaned over to my youngest daughter, she's 14, Blakely, and I said, see, Blakely, this is why I was trying to get you to play a little bit faster so that, you know, we could, we could finish the game. We're, we're not going to get to finish. We don't, we're not going to have enough time. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, we didn't come here to finish two games. We came here to have fun as a family. <laughs> Shut up. What do you know? She got me on that one. And here's the, here's the thing. If you're a parent, um, our kids will grow us up. Our kids will grow us up. Um, the, the thing about having kids is you're super narcissistic and very selfish when, you know, typically when you're younger. And, and then uh, if you're blessed enough to have a, of, of a child, then all of a sudden uh, you finally realize that there is something more important than yourself. Most of us do. Some of, some of us are still narcissistic. But, but, but usually having a, a kid breaks us out of that. And um, the, the thing about having kids is that they'll take you places and make you think about things that you've never thought about 
Sometimes they'll force you to think about things because of bad behavior and deal with things that you've never had to deal with. And, and, and a lot of times, this is how God grows us. And so that's the message today. The, the, the message title is how your kids grow you up as a parent. God will, God will use your kids to grow you up, to mature you, to become more spiritually mature if you let him. Now think about it. This is true for some of you. You didn't even realize it. You didn't go to church until you started having kids. And then you're like, oh crap, we better go to church. Um, some of you didn't have a prayer life until your kids turned 16. <laughs> and you're like, I better start praying, you know? Um, and so our kids start to grow us up and we don't even sometimes realize it. And so what if what you're going through today as a parent, the challenges that you're facing today as a parent, whether your kids are grown adults or teenagers or, 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 or younger kids, what if those challenges that you're going through are actually God's way of trying to mature you and grow you up? In Luke chapter 2, we see Mary and Joseph parenting the 12-year-old boy Jesus. And in this story, we're going to see Jesus teaches his parents some spiritual lessons that they needed to learn and that you and I need to learn as well. It's a lesson that sometimes, you know, we miss. And, and Jesus teaches his parents, so your kids are going to teach you uh, some things if you let the Lord do it. And, and so let's dive into chapter 2 of Luke and, and read the story. Uh, it says, Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know. But supposing him to be with the group, they went a day's journey. <laughs> they went all day. But then began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking or searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, four important truths that I think we as parents need to embrace today, or if you're going to be a parent one day, uh, listen up. And the first one is this. Parents, hold on to faithful worship. Right? Reminding you, we're in a series about hold on, let go. As we grow, as we mature, there are things we've got to hold on to. We hold on to that firm foundation that we sang about a few minutes ago. Right? We're holding on to Jesus and our faith. There's some things that we're going to have to let go of in parenting and in our spiritual life. And, and this is one of these things we hold on to. We hold on to faithful worship. And so we look at the life of Mary and Joseph. And if you look in chapter one, you see their obedience to God. Angel comes, speaks to Mary. You, you are favored, Mary. The Messiah is going to come um, and, and, and you're going to conceive uh, from this miraculous Holy Spirit event. It's going to be the Messiah naming Jesus. She obeys. She names him Jesus. Joseph is going to divorce her. He decides not to because he trusts God 
He has an encounter with an angel. They are trusting in God. They are following God. They are obedient to God. These are godly parents who prioritized their obedience to God. In verse 22 of chapter 1, they are following the, the, the laws of God, the, the word of God, by taking Jesus when he is uh, eight days old to the temple to dedicate him and get him circumcised. And that was the, the, the custom of that day. And that was following the word of God. They were prioritizing worship. The, the group of parents that came yesterday to dedicate their children, this is, this is part of you taking that step to faithful worship, to make that commitment to honor your kids by honoring the Lord and committing to faithful worship. In the verses we just read, 42, uh, 41 and 42, Jesus is 12 years old, and they are taking him back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Again, this was commanded in God's word. You're to do this. And so they left Nazareth. It would have been a long journey. They were poor. They didn't have money to travel. They didn't have money to do this. They would have been gone for at least 10 days. But they prioritize it. They go after it. Why? This is, this is them being obedient and being committed to and holding on to faithful worship, the gathering of God's people to worship God uh, together. And so as parents, we've got to hold on to this faithful tradition. You're going to face uh, AAU travel ball, and you're going to face out-of-town you know, work and vacations and all of these different uh, things are going to be vying for your attention and your kids' attention. You're going to have to make the decision, are we going to prioritize faithful worship? It's not going to be easy in this culture. It's not going to be easy. But you're going to have to make that choice. And when they're younger, we tend to think, oh, it's not that big a deal, right? Because they're young and, you know, we can pretty much control their behavior. And, and then, you know, when they're 14, 15, 16 and so forth, you're going to wish you have prioritized it. But at that point, it, it, it's going to be a bigger struggle. And so make the commitment when they're young. When we read this story, what I want you to see is that, like, this is a story about Mary and Joseph growing up. This is a story about how Jesus is teaching his parents how to be mature and how to grow up. Now, of course, we don't have perfect kids, so it's not you know, a, a, a complete comparison here, but God is going to use our kids to grow you up. They're going to challenge us uh, to look at the world differently. Sometimes they're going to make bad decisions that's going to require us to have faith and, 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 and also to deepen our prayer life. And, and so God's going to use them to grow us up. And so in verse 49, Jesus says, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that I'm going to be in my father's house? He's saying, come on, mom, you, you should have known where I was going to be. Even at a young age, Jesus is about his purpose. He's about ministry. And so if you're, if you're a 12-year-old, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, like we're not waiting on you to grow up before you can serve God. You're not the church of the future. You're the church now. Get involved. Serve God. You've got gifts now. God has designed you for ministry today. As parents, we should, we should want them to serve. We should want them to be involved. As much as we'll take our kids to a practice for sporting events, why wouldn't we take them to church to serve? And so I, I think we see the example from Jesus here. And he's helping his mother and his, his father understand that the center of the world needs to be God and his purpose, not your own purpose, not your own agenda. The lesson that we need to learn as parents that we need to hear is that God 
has a purpose for you. Jesus said, you should have known I, should have, I, I would be about my father's business. And so every single one of us, God has a calling on your life. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And until you discover that purpose and still until you start understanding the meaning behind what that looks like, then, then life is going to be a struggle for you. Life is going to feel meaningless and, and, and empty. And so he's calling us to have purpose by understanding the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave to give you freedom, to give you a relationship with God. With God. And until you experience that, none of the other stuff in the Bible is going to make sense. You're going to be critical of Christians and you're going to be upset and mad about a lot of things. And it's so it's just like, what, what does Jesus say? What does he say about himself? What did he do? And if it's true, if it's real, then it is life-changing. And so I want to encourage you to do that research and study on your own and discover the purpose God has for you. You and I, as parents, we've got to hold on to faithful worship in our life. But then secondly, parents have to let go of your plan for your kids and hold on to God's plan. See, a lot of times we have a plan, we have a direction. You're going to go here, you're going to do this, you're going to play this, you're going to go to this kind of school, and you're going to become this, right? And the tension, you know, that we wrestle with as parents is we have a plan, but then sometimes God's plan is a lot different. Oftentimes, God's plan is going to be different, and God's going to take them through a season of this and a season of that, and and they're going to experience things and, and, and do things that you would not have planned and that you did not want them to go through or experience. But again, it is us submitting to the plan of God and, and having the faith to say, God, your plan is better. So this is how it grows you up. I have faith in you, God. You got them. You love them more than me. They belong to you. They do not belong to me, God. So we have faith and we lean into that. We're here to guide them, but we are not here to decide for them. You know, as they get older, teenage years, and get into college, like these are the years that they're deciding what they're going to do. And yes, we guide, yes, we influence, but it is their decision ultimately. And imagine how painful this must have been for Mary. She wants to protect her son. She wants to guide him and protect him. But God has a completely different plan. He would suffer and he would die. And she had to submit to God's plan. God has a plan for your son. He has a plan for your daughter. And you've got to remind them as often as you can that there is something bigger in their life apart from the little thing that they're focused on today. God's up to something bigger. And we remind them of that and we pray for that. And we, we, we encourage them when they make decisions that, hey, that's, what, what, what's God's plan for your life? And what's God's will for your life? And have you thought about that? How are you praying about that? Have you asked godly uh, wisdom or, or, you know, mentors in your life about this? And so don't just make this based on, you know, how you feel today. There's something bigger, right? Cast that vision in their life. And we've got to do that at the same time that we're wrestling with number three here. And number three is that parents have to let go of control-based anxiety, Control-based anxiety. Imagine how anxious and worried and fearful Mary and Joseph were during these five days. Think about this. They're traveling for day one, don't even realize he's, he's not with them. Then they realize he's not there, so they travel back to Jerusalem. That's another day. And then for three more days, they're looking for Jesus until they finally 
find him. Can you imagine losing your 12-year-old son or daughter for five days? I mean, that to me is, 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 is so much fear and anxiety. I mean, how could we experience it? I remember taking our kids to Disney World several years ago. My, my son, he was like five at the time, and I was with my dad and my brothers and, and sisters and all their kids. There's like 17, 18 of us, and you know, we were, we get off one ride and, you know, you got the fast pass. And so you're on a schedule and you get to the next one, right? And so we get off and we start moving and, and, you know, you, you think everybody's with you, you know, and then all of a sudden you realize, where's Bryson? And if this has ever happened to you in any kind of setting, that moment of realizing that one of your kids is not with you, you don't know where they're at, is a panic infused moment, Right? 60 seconds, we found him. He was following somebody he thought he was, was his dad. It was like, no, 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 come on, buddy, right? And so it was 60 seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And you know how that feels because it's probably happened to you. I remember as a kid, uh, we'd come to church and I'd get left at church. My parents would go home. I'd be like, hey, where's everybody at before cell phones? Like, oh, I'd be stranded there for, you know, and they'd finally come and get me. But that happens. But for Mary and Joseph, you got to imagine the fear and anxiety would have been so intense uh, for five days. Imagine the arguing between Mary and Joseph. Think about that. Think about what she was saying to him and what he was saying to her. You know, I can hear Joseph now. Mary, he's the son of God for crying out loud. I mean, you think you keep an eye on him. <laughs> and she'd come back and she'd say, oh, he's just like you. And he'd say, he's not even my kid. <laughs> right? I can hear it. They were blaming each other. They were angry. But in the midst of the anxiety and the fear, listen to me, they kept searching. I'm sure they were praying. I'm sure they got people involved to help. They kept searching. And so what I want you to know is that good parenting doesn't mean that there are no major issues. Good parenting doesn't mean that there's not gonna be a crisis from time to time. Good parenting doesn't mean that your, your kids aren't gonna make mistakes along the way that embarrass you. Good parenting is seen in how you respond to those situations. So be encouraged today. Mary and Joseph, they were not perfect parents. I mean, they lost their kid for five days. I mean, come on. That gives me a little hope. <laughs> and the reality is our kids are not going to be perfect. They are going to do things that, that uh, don't make us proud. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. How are you responding to that? That's what I would encourage you to think about. We all would have been worried. But when I say let go of anxiety-based um, control... What, I'm, what I mean with that is a lot of us have misplaced anxiety as parents. We have misplaced worry, and that happens when our expectation of what they should be deciding and doing collide with their free will, their, their, their free will to make their own decisions, right? And, and, and what you should be doing, and this is the right way, collides with their free will, right? That's anxiety-based uh, fear, right? 
That's when we have to begin to kind of think through this a little bit more because we're anxious and worried about things because we're trying to control them. We're trying to control them and steer them to make them turn out a certain way. And that's not your job as a parent. In fact, your job as a parent isn't to control your children. Your job, listen to this, isn't to create great kids. Let that settle in for a minute. It's not your job to create great kids. You are not capable of doing that. They have a free will and we guide, we influence. This is their life and their decision. Um, It's impossible for us to force our kids to love Jesus. It's impossible for you to force your kids to surrender to Jesus and go to church and love. Of course, when they're five, six, seven, yeah, when they're little, you can bring them along. But at some point, like you're, you're, you, you, you got to realize that that control is gone. Um, last Sunday, we talked from John 3 that the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. In other words, God does the, the saving. God's the one that transforms us. You can't save your kids. You can't give them heaven. That's God's job. Your kids belong to him. They don't belong to us. And so he's the one that is in control, not you. And so when you begin to realize that you're not the one in control, you can't control, you influence, you guide, you can't control. When you recognize that you can't control, you can take a deep breath and realize, I've got to have faith in God that he's going to guide, that he's going to care, that he's going to love, that he's going to save. And and all the things that we want for them, we trust God with them. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we influence. But we release that control. And when we do, the anxiety can dissipate. But if you're anxious about your kids today, they might be 30 years old with their own kids and you're still worried about them. You've got a teenager you're worried about because they're making poor choices until you realize that you don't have control, you're going to be a fearful, anxious mess. And Jesus would say, you got to be about your father's business. You got to be in the house of, of the Lord. In other words, you've got to be about the purpose that he's given you. And you've got to release that control. Think about the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God creates the Garden of Eden. He creates Adam and Eve. Perfect environment, right? God is... Is, is the perfect father. His children aren't perfect, but he is perfect, right? And then he says, one rule, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And what do they do? They eat from that tree. What happened? What went wrong? God's a great father. God's the perfect father. What did God do wrong? <laughs> God didn't do anything wrong, right? So what happened here? The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. If this is a promise from God, why didn't it work for God? His kids messed up royally. Why didn't it work for him? He's the guy that wrote the whole book. (laughs) Why didn't it work? Well, this is a general uh, truth and rule like, it, it, it's wisdom literature. Proverbs is wisdom literature, right? And so 
These are, these are uh, the, a general truth that if you raise your child in the church and point them to the Lord, that when they grow up, they won't ultimately walk away from it. It doesn't mean that they won't have seasons of doubting and seasons of coming and going, but that's kind of a general truth, but it's not a guarantee. And so why did this happen then? Why did God's children mess up like this? And, and ultimately the reason is God gave Adam and Eve their own choice. Adam and Eve exercised their will. Um, parents, you could do the right thing for 18 years. And when your kids move away or move out, they have the ability to make their own decisions, good or bad. That means that they can choose to be foolish and sinful if they want. You and I cannot control them. Can't control that. Every person in the room wants control. We struggle because we want control. We want to be in control as parents. We want it so badly because we think that if we can make the right decisions and control them, then they're going to turn out the way that we want them to turn out. When kids are little, it's a little bit easier because they're really small and they're pretty dumb. And so we can <laughs> manipulate that situation. They get older, they get smarter, and it's not so easy to do that. Kids become 12, 13, that sense of control gets tested in dramatic ways. And so you have to start deciding what hill am I going to die on? Is this, is this a hill we need to die on and, and ruin relationship over this? Uh, are, are we going to put our foot down or are we going to start parenting differently? One of the keys to parenting is realizing what we can control and what we can't control. And that is a really, really challenging and difficult thing. And you are not going to do it perfectly. You're going to mess up and it's going to be messy depending on your kids and how many you have and, you know, the decisions they make. We know we can control money. We can control our cars. We can control our reaction. We can control our worship. But how your kids turn out is out of your control. Again, obviously, we're going to lead them. We're going to influence them, but they have free will. And the results are out of your control, but God is in control. And that's where we can breathe, and that's where we can release that that desire to want to and play the chess game with their life and just back off and let them begin to make their own decisions, good or bad. And so if things are not going well and, and, and they're not going to in some time to manage your anxiety, you got to pray, you got to pray, you got to pray, you got to pray. You got to get other people praying with you. You got to be in community with other people that have gone through that, other parents, and, and you pray together and you, you encourage each other. And this is what being a part of a, a community like Foothills Church is all about. We've got to begin to learn what we can and cannot control. Uh, there's some great resources out there from Focus on the Family, great books, great podcasts, uh, great articles online. Lean into these things, use them, learn from them. There's so much that has changed over the last three to five years in our culture that nobody else, uh, as far as parents, have gone through. Uh, my kids' generation, the first ones to be raised with the internet and have, you know, cell phones. And so when they get them and how they use them and all these questions, nobody's ever had to wrestle with this. And how do you deal with social media? And how does that play in? And what the heck are we doing? And what is it doing to our kids? And all of these questions are like flying at us. And it's like um, we're in real time making real time decisions that are going to impact them for eternity. We've got to understand 
that we can't control them, but we guide them. We influence them. We just did a series called Built Different. Men and women are different. Our kids need a man, uh, their father, and a woman, their mother, in their life. Uh, we know that's important. Tim Sanford wrote a book called Losing Control and Liking It. I encourage you to uh, pick that one up if you've got uh, kids, and, and uh, that's a huge thing. He talks about how, no, we don't have control. Um, our job is not to make sure they turn out to be this or that. But he says a dad has one job, a mom has one job. I mean, obviously, there's many things. But the primary role he talks about in the book for a father is actually to validate their children. A lot of things you got to do, but the primary thing that you're doing as a father is you're validating your children. All right, what does that mean? Well, a couple of things here. It means that you're sharing and telling and teaching them that you exist and you matter to me. You're sharing and you're teaching that you're good enough. And then finally, you're sharing that you're okay. That seems like a simple list, doesn't it? It should be way more complicated. But at the end of the day, our primary role as dads is, is, is he's saying like, you, you exist, you matter to me. You're good enough, you're okay. At a young age, uh, especially a dad is pouring this into his son or his daughter's life. Psychotherapists talk about the looking glass self-principle. And what that means is it's this idea that children get their earliest, most lasting impressions of who they are, really from what's reflected back to them from their parents. These impressions become their core memories. It becomes their core beliefs about themselves, right? And that's established at a young age. And so here's an example. Little Johnny comes into the room while his dad is on his phone. And dad doesn't say, hey, son, good to see you. Dad doesn't even say, don't bother me, I'm busy. Dad doesn't say anything to little Johnny. Over time, if behavior like that is consistent, then little Johnny begins to doubt that his existence is important. And so he gets a little bit older and maybe he lashes out and does some bad things and bad behavior. But when he, he does bad behavior, he gets validated in the sense that even if it's the police or his teachers or you know, in his life that are holding him accountable to his decisions, he begins to realize that his existence matters. And so that's the way that he gets validated. My existence matters. People pay attention to me when I act out. Again, it goes back to dad giving that validation. There's two extremes to this validation. There's over-validation and then there's withholding. And so let's talk about over-validating. We live in an over-validating type culture. You know, we want our kids to have self-esteem so everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins, right? Over-validating them, telling them they did a good job when in fact they did terrible is a lie. <laughs> it is a lie. But we don't want to hurt their feelings. If you over-validate over time, what you begin to teach them is that it doesn't matter what they do, they're good. They're great. And so that's where entitlement sets in and they don't have to work hard or do anything because they've been overvalidated and everything, every, I always win no matter what I do. But the real world is you don't get a promotion unless you're good and work hard. The real life tells you you don't even get the job unless you were qualified and interview well and you can do the job. Like that's the real world. So we don't want to overvalidate. Um, the other extreme is withholding validation. So that means I'm not going to tell you you did a good job unless you do it perfectly. 
And I define perfect by my standards. I, I decide what's perfect. You got an A minus? Well, you should have studied harder. And then you would have got an A plus. You got 18 points? Well, could have had 20. You'd hit those free throws. Now I'm getting into my stuff. Hang on here. Let me... That's my problem. No. The idea, though, is that we, we withhold because it's not perfectly the way that we thought it should be. And that's damaging to a kid. So we can't over-validate. We don't want to withhold somewhere in the middle. We've got to be able to affirm and validate our kids and, and, and not overdo it and not underdo it. And, and so both attempts, though, on these extremes are our way to control our kids. If I over-validate, I'm trying to control the outcome by making them be confident and making them you know, feel good about themselves. But that's me trying to control the outcome. I, I can't make them confident. Oh, they get their confidence from God. I, I can't, you know, if, if I withhold validation, I withhold it because I want them to work harder and by God, they need to do it better, right? And so I'm trying to control the outcome by motivating them. But the reality is it demotivates kids and it causes them to give up like they can never measure up. And then the opposite, when you get too much, like I said, it's entitlement. And so it's somewhere in the middle that we have to get to. We have to realize that our Heavenly Father says that we matter to Him so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. So if you're a person that was like, my dad didn't give me that validation, I realize that now. That's why I feel kind of empty and why that piece is kind of missing. So then we would, we would, we would run to our identity in Christ and we would recognize that we are children of God because he chose us, that he loved us, that he died for us. And yes, we matter and our existence matters and we are good enough in him and we are okay in him. And he fills us with that validation. Dad's primary role, validate his children. Mom's primary role is to nurture her children, right? To nurture. So mom's nurture by caring for, loving you know, hugging, kissing, having conversations. Uh, they show empathy and compassion where dad sometimes might be a little cold and, and not sympathetic or compassionate. Mom is. She's able to have fun with them. She reads to them, right? This is what the, a mom can bring into uh, her, her kid's life, this nurture. A mom desires to protect her kids. That nurture turns into protection. And we've all seen mama bears. We don't want to mess with a mama bear. But if there's a dog off a leash coming at your child, moms, you will throw your body in front of that animal and be mutila mutilated by that animal to protect your, your, your son or daughter. You would do that. At the same time, that desire to protect can easily turn into control. And it, 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 it kind of manifests itself in control when we start to overprotect. And then it be becomes, don't play with the stick because you'll poke your eye out. <laughs> And don't play with the sword because you'll poke your eye out. And everything's about getting your eye poked out. And it's like this overprotection to nurture our kids. For, for moms, oftentimes, can turn into this controlling uh, piece to try to keep them safe. It's well-intentioned, but over-control and overprotection can kind of lead to wimps. And then when they turn 16 and they start driving, it's like threatening them, you're going to be mutilated to death if you do this or do that. And so it's like control by casting fear 
and it's not, it's not healthy. And so we have to realize that, that nurture is a part of God's design for moms, but when it turns into overprotection, it can be harmful. And every kid needs the right amount of nurture and validation and finding the middle is the journey that you're on. And your kids are all gonna be different and one kid's gonna need more than the other kid and that's what makes it really tough. And parenting is really, really difficult, but this is the journey God's called you to. So we take a deep breath, moms and dads, we take the pressure off of ourselves because we know it is not our job to make them a great kid. Our job is to influence. Our job is to encourage and validate and nurture them. You say, yeah, Trent, but they got to make A's. They got to be the best. If you're not, if you're not, if you're, if you're second, you're the first loser, right? We got to go. We got to go. So, so my question is why? Why do we do that? What motivates us in that way? And I think the motivation is instead of doing your job to validate your kids, oftentimes we expect our kids to validate us. And that's a warped way of parenting. But we see it all the time. We look to our spouse to give us value and worth. Oftentimes they don't. And so then we quickly want to have kids. And what do we do with kids? Quick, kids quickly give us value and worth. Oh, they love us. Oh, they want to be with us. They need us for everything, especially for moms. That validation is immediate. Got to have you. Need you. You feel needed. You feel worthy. Right? And then they grow up. And that detachment, it becomes even more weird. Now all of a sudden my identity is wrapped up in my kids and how good they do. And when, they, when their behavior is good, I feel good about myself. And when their behavior is bad, I feel bad about myself. That's not the life God called you to live. He called you to find your identity in Him, not in their behavior, good or bad, right? And so we have to understand this, that that maybe we are controlling them or attempting to control them because we have a desire to look good in front of people. And that's a big thing in our culture. And we have to resist that temptation and we have to fight that temptation. And that's why number four is important. This is where we close. We have to realize that parents have to let go of shame-based parenting. We've gotta let go of shame-based parenting. Mary said, why have you treated us like this, Jesus? She made it all about herself. Look how you made me feel. You're treating me bad. No, he wasn't. He was doing what God called him to do. And every parent has said this to their child. We've all done this. But when your identity is tied up in their success or their failure, shame is going to happen frequently in your parenting skills. Adam and Eve sinned. They, they immediately separated themselves from God and tried to hide from him because they were ashamed. They tried to cover themselves because they were ashamed. And so shame says, I am wrong and I need to hide. I am wrong and I need to hide it. Not that you did something wrong, but that I am wrong. And there's a difference. You see, if you feel guilty about uh, committing a sin, the Bible says that godly guilt leads to repentance. And so guilt is like, okay, I feel bad about I, I'm messing up. I, I, I sinned. And so hopefully we want to reconcile that. Shame is different. Shame is I am bad. And so we shame our kids frequently in parenting. And it's subtle. 
and it's really hard for us not to do this, but we do it often. It's things like, how could you do this to me? It's statements like, you're just like your mother. Statements like, you're embarrassing me. Why are you doing this? Why did you forget to take out the trash again? Are you an idiot? Statements that declare who they are, right? And shame them about things that they have done. I don't know why I even bother. If you would have studied more, you wouldn't be flunking. You're gonna be a homeless loser. <laughs> All the things, right? Two reasons parents do this. I think one reason is because shame is inside of us. We grew up in a house full of shame. And when you feel like you're not good enough and like, you know, you're, you're ashamed of who you are and so you're hiding things in your life. And, and as a result, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so shame is in you, you're gonna give shame. The other reason why we use it is sometimes it just stinking works. It works when we shame people. You might shame your spouse, shame your kids, and that'll fix them for a while. But if you continue to do that, they won't wanna be around you. If you continue to do it, it demotivates them. They'll wanna give up. They won't wanna try because I can't please them with anything. I'm never gonna be good enough. And so shame-based parenting has to be let go. We've gotta remember that their actions are their actions. It's not who they are. Just because they're messing up today doesn't make them a mess up, right? And so we have to be careful with the shame. Now, again, this is hard. We do this and it's part of our language. And it's really sometimes the only tool that we really have to kind of guide our kids. What are we gonna say if we can't say that? Well, we've gotta be measured. We've gotta slow down our response. We've gotta be thoughtful with our response. We can't flip out. We can't let, our, let the lid blow off. We've gotta measure that and slow our thoughts down and realize, and, and I'll close with this thought, we've gotta realize that you can't control the results, but you can provide the right ingredients. And so finding the right ingredients of faithful worship, holding on to that, praying with our kids, casting vision in their life. God's got a plan for you. God loves you. The decisions that you are making are gonna have consequences. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't want that for you. It's your choice. It's your decision. You get to, you get to take that path if you want it, but, but I'm praying that you, you, you're faithful in this decision and then walking with them when the pain does come because bad decisions do always, always have consequences. We let go of that control-based anger. We realize God is in control. He loves our kids. You focus on influencing them to Jesus and we pray and we pray and we pray and we partner with this church to help us along the way. They're gonna go through rough patches, but when they go through those seasons, hold on to Jesus, your firm foundation. He's the one that will bring you through it. And we realize that spiritual growth sometimes happens with our kids who are leading us, messing up, making things harder on us. And it's just the way that God grows us up sometimes. And so we let go of our fears. We let go of our anger. We let go of our sorrow. We let go of, of unfulfilled dreams. We let go of our own dreams. We let go of our plan. Just like Mary and Joseph saw Jesus and he says, I had to be in my father's house. We take this cue and we say, look, we don't need to stay in our house. We need to be in our father's house. Because our house a lot of times is filled with a lot of uh, fear. 
Our house is filled with a lot of guilt and shame and our house is filled with a lot of sin, but we get comfortable living in these environments and Jesus calls us to get out of our home and into his home. He calls us out to fulfill our purpose. He calls us out to make disciples. He calls us out to worship him. He calls us out to trust him despite the circumstances. And so it's my encouragement for you today as mom, moms and dads, like, like fulfill what God's calling you to do. Don't lose sight of that. Get into his house, serve him, fulfill your purpose. You can't control the outcome. So release that control and that anxiety. Let go of that shame that you're casting. Trust in God today. Let me ask you to bow your heads. I wanna pray over our parents. I know we prayed over the moms and dads that have babies that dedicated and that's great. But there's some moms and dads that are, they're going through it and it's tough. It's challenging. We're going to pray today that God gets you through it, that God gives you wisdom. And I just, I just wonder how many in the room would just say, you know, as you talk, whew, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm in that season right now, and I'm dealing with a lot of that stuff, and I got to let go of some things. Would you pray for me today, Trent? How many of you would say, that's me today, Trent? Would you just lift your hand up high? I see you all over. I wish you could see these hands. Parents, there are hands all over this place. So you're not alone. You're not alone. Let me pray for you. Father, you are our good Father. You're our perfect Father. And in so many ways, you've set the example for us. And in so many ways, Lord, we, we feel ill-equipped. We feel like we're drowning. We feel like there's no way out. But today we look at your word and we're encouraged that sometimes our kids are the ones that help us grow. And so today, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would allow every parent in the room who lifted their hand to surrender to your plan, to let go of that anxiety, to let go of that burden. God, would you fill us with peace? Would you fill us with power? Would you release the fear that Satan has cast into our mind? In the name of Jesus, God, would you release us from that? And would you give us the hope that only comes from you, the peace that transcends all understanding? God, give us wisdom. God, give us strength and power to continue to guide and influence, but but at the same time recognizing that we don't have control and we can release ourselves from that burden and trust in you today. God, give, give us faith. And for those sons and daughters, Lord, we pray that you would save them, that you would change their heart, that you would speak to them, that you would grow them. God, we trust you with them. And in this moment today, I pray that it would be a game-changing moment that, God, you stir us, you stir us to release that control and to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing about the love of our God. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment 
And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.